Walk, believe, or walk, Daniel. Walk, believe, or walk, Daniel. Walk, tell you walk, Daniel. Walk, tell you walk, Daniel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Our Thought Bubble on Finneran's Wake. I'm joined, as always, by my dear father, Dad. <laughs> How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Dad. I'm uh, trying to keep warm here in New Jersey. Uh, the weather has changed. It's very gray. It actually looks like it might snow. Uh, just got finished watching the San Francisco 49ers uh, make short work out of the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks look good in the first half, but uh, San Fran ended up uh, ruling the day. Oh, wow. Okay. I totally forgot about the playoffs beginning this week. Who is your predicted team to go all the way to the Super Bowl this year? Wow. Uh, put me on the spot. Uh, possibly the Philadelphia Eagles. As much as it uh, pains me to say that, you know, I'm a Giants fan, um, probably the Philadelphia Eagles. And I suppose that's not just a regional prejudice. You do live in southern New Jersey, but aren't at all um, affiliated with the team of which everyone there is supportive. Uh, I think I think the Buffalo Bills will go all the way and win it this year. That's my prediction. So we'll see. I think they play tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. But we can talk about football off camera later on. Uh, right now, we want to focus on a few of the big pieces of news that burst out onto the scene this past week. I thought we might begin with the one story about which everyone is talking, and that is... President Biden's uh, classified documents, a trove of them, it seems, that were discovered both at his Penn uh, Biden Center for International Diplomacy, which is located in Washington, D.C., and at his Wilmington, Delaware residence, not far from where you live, in fact. Perhaps one day you can go and, and visit his estate. Just to set a little bit of background, the fact that these uh, documents are even relevant stems back to the fact that in the winter of 2022, the current DOJ and the FBI were in talks with the former President Trump, Donald Trump, um, and his team down at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, the concern was that he had taken with him documents uh, over which he had no right, supposedly, um, down to Mar-a-Lago and was keeping them there um, illicitly in uh, subversion of the of the um, uh, presidential records act so those documents were supposed to be returned to the archives in washington dc they were of the possession of the federal government but uh, he did not so they had some negotiations through the spring and then in the summer of 2022 uh, just a few months ago there was the infamous raid of mar-a-lago when the fbi arrived at his uh, palatial estate down in Florida, um, took uh, many of those documents, and um, you know there, it's been a dispute ever since. And many think that this is, a, this is a, a breach of law on which Democrats hope to indict the president. Fast forward a few months, November of 2022, the second of that month, just prior to the midterm elections, we learned um, Retrospectively, we learned that it was um, discovered that President Biden also had classified documents 
at those two locations that I just mentioned, and they were from his tenure as vice president about six or seven years ago. So, Dad, uh, talk to me a little bit about your feelings regarding this uh, extraordinary story. Yeah, so uh, so I've been following the story. Um, I, I was following the story when um, when Donald Trump was in hot water for these documents. Uh, the media made it he like he was you know selling Russian selling secrets to Russia, selling nuclear codes. I mean, there was all kinds of speculation, really unheard of speculation, and and the same speculation isn't being attributed to the documents that are. Uh, that are at uh, Biden's residence. Although I would say that the um, conservatives are speculating that Hunter Biden had access to these documents. Um, if I have to see one more video of um, the president backing his Corvette into a garage with little arrows as to where the documents were stored, I think, uh, you know, the interesting thing is, and, and, you know, the it's really not codified in any way, but it's my understanding that the president has the ability to de declassify all documents. Now, whether or not it's done through the wave of a magic wand, um, but I think therein lies a rub. The, the president ha said that he declassified the documents. He is allowed by law to declassify the documents, even though there is really no, um, no process that's set in place. Conversely, Joe Biden was vice president at the time uh, that these documents were in his possession. He does not possess any rights to declassify those documents. The interesting thing that I find, I don't, well, I'll, I'll go back a step because you asked the question if you thought maybe it, it affected the, um, if it affected the, um, or would have affected the outcome of the election. I will say that, that, I don't believe that the, again, I don't believe that finding those documents and reporting them to the media would have influenced the outcome of any of the uh, midterms. Uh, I think even even Trump's, uh, you know, confiscation of documents or confiscating Trump's document documents. I don't really think that there's that many people who were who were really that interested in. Uh, in that discovery. So I don't really think, you know, it's ironic. They're not ironic. It's, it looks like it's, it's a, a, a tactful maneuver to discover the documents four or five days before, before the election, before the midterms, and then not release that information. Um, but I don't really feel it would have had any impact. I don't know. How, how do you feel about that? Do you think uh, the American people finding out that that Biden had those documents would have impacted the the elections. And in, and in my second point, before you respond to that, is I'm wondering aloud how many other of these types of classified documents are out there. So did Kamala, does Kamala Harris have classified documents as vice president? And what's the security level for those documents? Could someone on a committee have classified documents, and 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 if so, what are the what are the security protocols for those documents? So I'm not really sure. Um, I think where there's smoke, there's fire, and that's just how I am. 
So what are your feelings on, on the midterms? Do you think do you think that that would have had any effect on, on who was elected in the midterms? I concur with your analysis as it pertains to the midterm elections. I don't think that the disclosure of these documents at both the residence of Joe Biden and at his think tank, his uh, eponymous think tank, would have significantly swayed the electorate's opinion as to as to the side for whom they were ready and willing to cast their vote. Uh, I don't think this issue um, superseded um, or overshadowed uh, the shortcomings of a lot of the candidates that were running for office on the Republican side. Um, but you do see at this point the the galling asymmetry in the treatment of the two political parties. Now, so far as we know at this point, social media had no involvement in this latest uh, revelation. But think back to the election of 2022. I'm sorry, of 2020, not very long ago. And it was Hunter Biden's laptop. That was the story about which everybody was talking or not talking. Uh, now, you'll recall that the New York Post was first to break this uh, jarring story. Uh, it was uh, promptly censored and suppressed on all social media platforms, most notoriously on Twitter. And the story of Hunter Biden's laptop, come to find out, might have swayed significant numbers of uh, American voters in that November's election. Uh, now, that is an issue uh, directly linking the president to the foreign um, ventures and entanglements of his uh, wayward son. Um, and also Joe Biden was on the ballot. He was on the ticket that year at that time. Uh, now in the midterm election, yes, in some ways it's a proxy for the president, but it's not as though Joe Biden was the person for whom we were or were not voting. Uh, it certainly was his party of which he is the head, but it wasn't for him. So for that reason, I don't think voters really would have changed their opinion based on uh, the documents. I think perhaps some would have. Uh, but again, I, th I think to, uh, I think to believe them to have done so in this hypothetical situation absolves the Republican Party and its candidates of a lot of responsibility for its unexpected and historic shortcomings in this latest election. So again, I agree with you. I would say that no, uh, this, the disclosure of President Biden's unlawful possession of these classified documents at his two locations would not have changed the outcomes, but it's an important uh, trend that we continue to see and uh, of which we should never be forgetful. And that is the fact that this uh, happened in a different way in 2020 with the Hunter Biden election, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop, which, as I just said, would have changed a lot of votes. And that's been demonstrated by by polling and uh, by people answering, uh, you know, questions regarding that matter. Uh, and then this in the year 2022 or 2023, we say the same. We see the same thing. It's as though these forces, be they in social media, be they in the uh, Justice Department, the bureaucratic state, there seems to be uh, an unwillingness, let's say, to protect a Republican and a and a rampant and um, fearsome 
uh, habit of protecting the Democrat and the Democratic Party, which might be its own. Now, your second question was, or your second point was, basically the ubiquity of these documents in uh, in, in America, in the world. And you, you bring up a great point. I mean, uh, the field in which you work, and I won't disclose it, is, you know, specifically, but it's in, it's in security, generally. Um, so, on occasion, I'm assuming that you are privy to some very sensitive matters regarding funding, regarding, you know, implementation of certain devices. Um, we're all now walking around with devices on which sensitive information is being communicated. Like I work in healthcare, for instance, and and I know, and, and anyone working in healthcare knows that if you are to leave the premises of a hospital, let's say, or a clinic with uh, highly sensitive private health information, uh, and that leaks or or is discovered, let's say, by by anyone in your house or in your community, or you leave it in the parking lot, um, you are liable for that. I mean, that that's against the law. I mean, that's a strict liability issue, to use the legal term, to use the proper legal term. It doesn't mean that I had the intention of uh, divulging Jane Doe's um, chronic lumbago <laughs> or chronic low back pain uh, to the world, and I, it wasn't my intention to to post that and take a you know a picture of it and post it on Facebook. That's that's um, irrelevant. All right, my intention is irrelevant. It's strict to the fact that I did leave the premises with that information that could have then been um, disclosed. So that's strict liability. Um, but think about how often that does happen. Think about how often you've heard that in your own workplace, people leaving with uh, certain pieces of information um, to which the rest of the world should not have been uh, exposed. So I think you mentioned uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. You can think of the Secretary of State. You can think of the Secretary of Defense. It's, it's inconceivable to think that these people are completely faithful to um, the, the classification standards of ensuring that all these documents and all these communications are kept within the, the skiffs or the very um, highly secured areas in which they're supposed to be held. Um, uh, it's, it's an ideal that this would be the case and this would be the practice and that all those sensitive documents would stay in their uh, respective quarters, but I think as we know in this world, uh, the ideals are often unattainable. Yeah, I mean, you're you're exactly, and so we're in agreement with that. Um, I, I will say that I did see the media going after uh, Joe Biden a little bit, uh, a little bit more than, than the kid gloves that they normally handle him with. But I... Didn't see the why? Why the, do you think that? Why do you think that is? Do you do you think perhaps that the asymmetry uh, between the treatment of President, former President Trump, and President Biden is so uh, blatant, is so clear that they might lose all credibility if they don't handle it uh, a little bit more roughly, a little bit more acerbically? What do you think? Yeah, uh, I, yeah, it is all about. Uh, well, I, you know, I have two theories on that. Uh, the the first theory I have is it kind of goes along with with what you're saying. 
they are kind of going after him a little bit. It's a little bit more contentious in, in the uh, in the briefing room. Um, the, the the second theory that I have is that um, maybe the media, maybe the Democratic Party, are looking for a way to part ways with with Joe Biden for for the next election cycle, uh, and, and this provides the the excuse. He's mishandling information, and, and actually, he did it as as a vice president. Um, well, that so, could be used. That could be used uh, as a as a defense uh, of of his and and by his party and by his supporters. Is that uh, this is something that happened <laughs> six years ago, seven years ago, and it has no bearing on his current state of competence and uh, and ability. Well, I mean, if you could argue that, but you could also argue that he broke the law uh, six or seven years ago and that he was never punished. So these were, you know, classified documents that he could not declassify. So it's so it's very, very interesting. Um, I would say that it, it did get a little bit testy, but it wasn't as um, contentious as as Trump. There wasn't that wild the wild speculation trying to figure out what the what are these documents i mean i haven't heard any of that speculation can could hunter biden well you hear probably from conservative talk could hunter biden have profited from these documents um, yeah so that's, that's some that's that's a, that's a character on whom we might uh, linger just for a minute the general perception of hunter biden uh, I think deservedly is one of a some of somewhat of a of a, a ne'er do well, right? Uh, the black the black sheep of the family, uh, by whom every at whom everyone sort of uh, turn uh, turns their gaze. I should say away from whom everybody sort of turns their gaze in in embarrassment. Uh, but we should remember the fact that I I believe he's an Ivy League trained lawyer. <laughs> he's had a quite lucrative career behind him. Now, that's not to say that he's some sort of brilliant uh, businessman, uh, but he might have uh, a certain curiosity when he's looking at troves of, uh, of classified documents by which he might be able to profit um, with his foreign dealings. Or perhaps these documents were taken by uh, Joe, Joe Biden when as vice president he was leaving uh, the Oval Office or the White House, uh, with the knowledge that his son could then utilize them. Now, as we come to find out, I think between 2017 and 18, um, upon Joe Biden's departure, Hunter Biden was living at that residence. Uh, now, we're assured that all was on the up and up and that this garage was, uh, was almost impenetrable. But dad, having a garage your own, <laughs> Is that not the uh, almost the um, pre-established um, method of entering and exiting the house? And how often, tell me, how often does my beloved brother leave that garage door open <laughs> when he is coming home from work or from the gym? Tell me, is that frequent or infrequent that that garage door is left open? I think I think I think every American. <laughs> could speak to how often the garage door is left open and sometimes overnight. Now, exactly. so I'm not 
what type of compound Joe Biden lives on. So I'm not sure if he's got perimeter security, if he's got a gate, if he's got. He likely. That's a good. That's a good point. He likely does, even though we're told that such barriers are um, inexcusable and totally immoral. If one were to be erected on the southern border. Uh, we would protest it, but around one's house in Wilmington, Delaware, or in Palo Alto, California, it's more than okay. Uh, but that's another point uh, on which we could touch at a different time. So you're right, there probably is perimeter um, um, security, I would think, fencing and gates and all sorts of things and, and video cameras. Um, but I'm, I'm also thinking uh, about Hunter Biden's past. He left um, at least one laptop at a, at a repairman's shop that he never thought it worthwhile to respond uh, to return to and retrieve. Um, he disposed of a of a gun in a in a schoolyard garbage can. <laughs> he's uh, he's uh, is at least his computer is littered with uh, you know drug paraphernalia, um, most of which I would assume has has been left in. Uh, sorted hotel rooms across the world. So this isn't someone who's particularly uh, scrupulous when it comes to his uh, his use and and storage of, of, of sensitive materials, right? So my thinking on this is that if Hunter Biden is in this house for at least a year, he's privy to this information, perhaps he's been encouraged to utilize it in his foreign business dealings. Um, more than likely, he was a, a less than trustworthy person uh, to be handling it. Um, that's not to say that I am very trusting of Joe Biden's uh, handling of it, um, but it certainly seems unlikely that that Hunter Biden would have would have managed it well. Um, and I certainly don't imagine Hunter Biden being the type of son who often closes the garage door uh, upon his return home late at night. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, there's only so far that the befuddled grandfather can 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 take you. Um, you know, it, you know, when he's a world leader, he's the strong, you know, uh, people just misunderstand him. He when he has these lapses, it's because he stutters. You know, if if you're a strong leader, uh, on the world stage and you want to be seen as a strong leader on the world stage you you, you can't use the befuddled grandfather uh, i just didn't know that the documents were in there and everybody kind of like looks the other way and you know it's like you you have to take responsibility for the things that that have happened you know mistakes happen um i i know i've never taken classified documents on nor would i have wanted to um but people take little trinkets and things from work all the time so not that I consider classified documents trinkets by any means. I, I, I think this story is playing out very strongly because of the aggressive way that the Democratic Party and the media went after Trump. And, um, it, and, and so now turnaround is fair play. But conversely, or, you know, you're getting people from the Democratic Party who are saying, well, it seems like that evidence was planted. But, but then the next day, there's another revelation that documents a third group or a third piece. I'm not sure, you know, how many documents are in this third finding. So now there's they're starting to pop up. So before you speculate that 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 these documents are planted, think about think about the person that you're trying to protect. 
And you better be darn sure that you, that these theories and these accusations hold any type of water because you're not putting doubt in any, anyone's mind. There is no one who's going to plant these documents. No one's going to go into the garage and, and put these documents next to his Corvette, especially if there's perimeter security, yeah. uh, there's video surveillance, there's guards. I'm, I'm assuming there's a gate. I don't know. I, I haven't looked at his his compound or his estate, but I'm, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, you, you I'm really. Sure. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, but you absolutely must be uh, willing to unmoor yourself from the the shoals of reason and uh, and rationality to think that uh, that this evidence was planted. And now that's an idea that uh, Representative Hank Johnson floated, and it's absolutely incredible. And I mean, unbelievable um, to think that. Uh, for one, because it was President Biden's legal team who announced the fact that these documents existed. So, the, you know, the, that idea of it there being planted is completely um, subverted by that fact alone. Now, there's, you're right, turnaround is, for, is fair play, but I think we should just mention uh, this idea of the benefit of the doubt. Think immediately uh, upon. Uh, the revelation that Donald Trump was harboring these illicit documents, classified documents at his estate. Immediately, I think, the <laughs> supposition was that these documents contained nuclear secrets, right? I mean, that was the, the, the initial story with which every outlet ran was that, and it was uncorroborated, and, and, and it was probably only rumors, hearsay, or just whispers from someone in the intel community to whom they could attribute a, an anonymous source title. Uh, but the idea was uh, there were nuclear codes <laughs> in, in, these, in these documents. Now, immediately that's, that, to me, just seemed completely implausible. For, and for one is, I'm sure that these nuclear codes uh, aren't what they were in 1950, and they've <laughs> remained static ever since. Uh, I'm sure that these codes are probably changed and <laughs> altered in significant ways so as to be um, impenetrable to enemies and to even to domestic um, workers in our federal government, because that's that's just too important a thing to, to keep constant for so long a, a time. Uh, so immediately, the 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 rumor, let's say, the unsubstantiated rumor, the idea was that President Trump was, again, perhaps um, beholden to a foreign power, was perhaps communicating and exchanging uh, very sensitive military technology and ideas with a foreign power, and that his uh, possession of these documents was, in fact, uh, a real and existential danger to our country. That was just minutes after the disclosure of the fact that he had these documents at his compound. Now, his recalcitrance and his unwillingness to comply with um, the, the federal government under, under Joe Biden perhaps didn't dissuade a lot of people who immediately um, thought that this might be the case, right? So he didn't do himself any favors by being so obstinate immediately after the fact. But we move forward in time to this situation with President Biden. And what is the benefit of the doubt? Let's think about that. What were the suppositions? 
no one draws the line between Biden and his prior dealings as the big guy, <laughs> recipient of the 10%, right? Um, the, the line between him and Iran or China or Russia or Ukraine, no one draws that line, right? No one jumps to that conclusion. No one jumps to the conclusion that Hunter Biden must have been privy to these documents and benefiting and profiting off of their, um, of his possession of them. So again, that's part of the asymmetry in the situation between Trump and Biden, but it's also sort of our inbuilt perception. We we look at Biden, as you mentioned, this grandfatherly avuncular figure whose greatest, um, oh, I don't know, vice is getting a little too touchy and close to young women and whose hair he can't but take a big old whiff. <laughs> but we don't suspect him of anything more nefarious than that. Right. And and that's I don't know why, but people have this image of him as this virtuous Irish Catholic uh, who would never do anything uh, untoward or indecorous. Uh, so I think in general, we need to uh, exercise a certain suspicion of our elected officials. These are people with whom we shouldn't be so comfortable. Right. Uh, people that we shouldn't look up to. So. Um, unsuspectingly, uninquisitively, right? We need to look at them all more discerningly. And, and that's that's the symmetrical treatment, I think, that we all need to apply. Uh, so, so your thoughts about that, just the benefit of the doubt that's granted to Biden and that which is withheld from uh, former President Trump. What do you think? So, so stolen directly from the Babylon Bee, I'm gonna ask you to react to a little clip now, I'm not going to have audio, but I just want you to take a look at it and let the viewers take a look at it for a moment or two. And then I am going to switch, you know, I'll give it two or three seconds and then I'm going to switch back to uh, my beautiful face. And uh, then you can make a comment on it because I didn't add the audio to this. So I'm not going to be able to leave it up and comment on it. But let me let me see if I can come up here to number three. All right. So why don't we read this aloud? It's. DOJ indicts Trump for Biden's possession of classified documents. <laughs> and and yeah, that was published, what, the, the 12th of July, uh, of January? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as so often, it is the Babylon Bee um, captures the, the, the spirit of this issue in its inimitably witty uh, and, and humorous way. Uh, and yeah, that's precisely right. I mean, anything that can be conceivably laid at the feet of former President Trump will be. And that's not to say that he's undeserving of criticism and perhaps um, um, perhaps he's violated certain rules. He certainly seems to have violated um, the, his possession of uh, classified documents. But uh, but no, I mean, it's it's always going to be um, pointing the finger to to the the, the predecessor. So what is the next, the next Babylon V? So I'm just going to I'm just going to answer your question because you um, you you asked me for my opinion. Um, you know the the interesting thing about about those documents is is back to your point was Trump was obstinate, so his obstinance is now fuel for 
you know, spokespeople for, for the Democratic Party who are now coming out and saying, well, they found it and they gave it over immediately. So there wasn't this, this tug of war that went on between, between Donald Trump and between the DOJ. Um, he immediately handed it over, which... Um, which well, yeah, we say... We do, yeah, he, he wasn't as uh, intransigent and, and stubborn and mulish as, as uh, Donald Trump was. But we have to remember that Biden was in possession of these documents for six or seven years. So, yeah, yeah, I suppose upon their discovery, he immediately handed them over. Uh, but this is after almost a decade of, <laughs> of, of having them unlawfully. And it's not as though uh, Biden was unaware of the fact that you couldn't bring home classified documents as a civil servant. Prior to his tenure as vice president, he served in the Senate since the age of 29, 28 or 29. I believe, uh, I believe he was uh, elected before his 30th birthday. So I think he was 29. Uh, of course, to be a senator, you must be 30 years of age. So uh, he's been in the federal government for 50 years at this point. So to think that he was ignorant of this law, right, that you, that you can't have classified documents as a private citizen um, having retired from the, the civil, uh, the civil, your civil service, is just again laughable. So yes, he immediately handed them over, whereas Trump was stubbornly held on to them. But after six years, <laughs> right, and then after many more years, um, with complete knowledge of of the fact that this law existed. Yeah, I, I agree. So you're looking for for another ha ha from the Babylon Bay again. Oh, I haven't added. <laughs> I oh, haven't added. My any of, the, any of the audio sources to it. So I'm just learning this OBS and I'm trying to be as creative creative as possible to see what the potential is and if it's adding a, another dimension to our conversation. So I'll, I'll bring this one up. I'll give the viewers a, a few seconds, five to 10 seconds to take a look at it. And then uh, we'll go back to you because once you start speaking about it, your, your, um, your video is going to, going to take over, I believe. So let me let me pull the next one up and get your reaction to it. All right. So the title is Unclear How Bad Attack Is Until Authorities Release Details of Everyone's Skin Color. Of course. And this is from March 22nd of 2021. So a few years ago, Dad, you went into the archives to find this one. I still think it's relevant now. Yeah, yeah. So just recently, uh, we came to know that um, the cousin of one of BLM Black, Live, Ma Black Lives Matters founders, Patrice Cullors, one of her one of her cousins whose name escapes me right now, uh, was killed under um, what seemed to be quite um, indisputable circumstances in uh, in Los Angeles. Right? I don't know. Is this a story with which you're at all familiar, Dad? Now this is the first time I'm hearing this. I haven't I haven't heard this story before. Yeah, so a school teacher, I believe from the East Coast, I'm not sure exactly the state from which he hails, but he was out in California visiting family over the winter break. Uh, so far as I understand it, uh, the facts that I've um, ascertained are that he was inebriated quite 
severely, attempted mm -hmm. to steal a vehicle, I believe, um, was involved, and this was in, in daylight, it was the reason for or was involved with a, an accident uh, and then sort of fled the scene. So a, a police officer arrived on a motorcycle and um, tried to calm him. The, from what I can tell, uh, with all politeness and decency, it was not an, an aggressive encounter, nor was it from the young man, uh, he, I believe 31 years of age, a father and a teacher, um, but at this point quite quite obviously inebriated. I mean, they released the, the um, you know, the video footage, the, the da not the dash cam, but the, the body cam footage. Um, so they, they tried to subdue him in as, you know, amicable a way, and it's, of course, unavailing. He, he was very resistant, and then ultimately resisted. He was out in the street running around, um, forcefully resisting the, uh, the police subdual of him, and then um, after many, many, many warnings, um, the police officer with whom he first engaged uh, tased him, right? Just to, not as a, not as a lethal matter, as you know, but just simply to, to make him more tractable, <laughs> to get him onto his back. So that happened. And then I think four hours later, after the fact, he died of cardiac arrest. Uh, the toxicology report showed, I believe, cocaine and uh, marijuana in his system. Um, now, of course, in this instance, it was, it was clear the, the skin color uh, of the, of the victim and of the of the police officer or officers uh, among whom there were many <laughs> races represented uh, this doesn't speak exactly to that babylon b article but it's just uh, a most recent example of what will be um, an inflammatory sort of racial incident especially because it was someone so closely related to uh, one of the originators of the blm um, group but you're exactly right um, you know, examples of this are are rife in America. Uh, we sort of withhold our judgment of any confrontation, uh, any interaction between police officers and uh, assailants or people in the general population. Uh, we withhold it until we know everyone's skin color. And I think that's a completely uh, ruinous thing, especially when, it, when you stop... Um, describing the race, the racial features of someone as they are doing in San Francisco um, among their, you know, um, people that you should be looking out for, right, um, in the community as, as possible criminals or as, or as supposed um, uh, felons or on college campuses when they send out text alerts describing the profiles of people who may have committed a crime or, or uh, have been um, suspected of suspicious behavior, they're now obscuring from from the, the college population, probably the the surrounding um, citizenry, people who live around that college town. Uh, you know, the race of this person, his skin color, right? Things of things of that nature. So it's yeah. so funny. I, I mean, so I think I I was more directing that at the media, which is, I mean, hitting home right now, which is a narrative in search of the facts so there's this narrative that they go out with and they start to investigate a shooter uh and they find out that he's not a white supremacist and suddenly uh that story goes on to the back burner i mean 
goes on to or or it becomes a story about gun control right there's there's a certain um <laughs> i don't know if it would be it's not an algorithm it, 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 perhaps a certain pathway that a story takes depending on the, the the race of the person who committed the crime right so if it's if it's a, a gun incident with uh you know a white person involved in any number of people of a of a different ethnicity you know the 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 suspicion immediately is white supremacy if it's a non-white individual it's a story of it's a regional story it it it, it reduces from a national story to a to a local story or a regional story and becomes one of uh, gun control or maybe uh, mental health right so there's there's a certain pathway that that all these these incidents follow yeah, and it's a pathway, quite frankly, I'm, I'm a little bit sick of, but I, I really didn't mean to show you that slide right away. I think I, I had it mixed up, so I'm going to go to another slide. Oh, that's okay. So, yeah, so this, so again, Babylon B, um, there's there's a lot of humor with Babylon. I mean, I get a chuckle sometimes, a, a lot of times, very often, actually, but um, there, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of truth in in this humor, just as comedians used to speak a lot of truth with their humor. They're, they've been basically canceled now, so you're so you're really not getting that that bite, that cutting edge, that that insightfulness. But let me pull up this slide, and again, my audio is going to be off. So if you want to um, take a look at it, the title is "California is the State of Freedom." says man who locked everyone in their homes for two years. <laughs> and that is from, what, January the 10th of 2023, so just a few days ago. And we have a smiling, charming photo of uh, Gav uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, for whom the Californians all uh, sort of overwhelmingly voted in their in their last election. I think that was last year when Larry Elder ran against him in the, in the recall. So, uh, you know, Say what you will about Gavin Newsom, he has uh, proven some uh, modicum of survivability. He shows that he is uh, durable to some extent, but I don't know if he's uh, if he's the answer for the for the Democrat Party in the future. So is he is he is he, is he a national player? Is he is he going to be if if Biden doesn't run? Is is it Gavin Newsom's turn? Is it Phil Murphy's turn? Turn. Um, you know, there's there's talk of Phil Murphy, um, but what do you think? Could with, be Chris Christie. <laughs> his his uh, Republican bona fides, I think, are, are in question. Maybe he'll run as a Democrat. No, uh, I kid. You, we have to look at the let's call it the Democrat bench, right? Who do they have that they could elevate to a position uh, worthy of contending with many very talented uh, Republican? Um, uh, candidates, right? Among them, we might number DeSantis and Trump and Noam and Pompeo and now John Bolton, apparently, and uh, uh, Nikki Haley, right? Let's talk about the Democrat uh, bench, all right? So we have Pete Buttigieg, we have Kamala Harris, we have Gavin Newsom, we have um, um, Pritzker, right? Governor of, of Illinois. Um, you mentioned Phil Murphy. I'm not sure if uh, he's a viable uh, national candidate, <laughs> but we'll have to see. Um, Gavin Newsom certainly has some 
commercial appeal, let's say, right? I mentioned charming. I suppose in some people's eyes, he is just that. He's a handsome man uh, of that. I don't think there's much doubt. Probably a little heavy on the, the hair gel. Um, but who are we to speak to that, right? Uh, one man without hair and, and one with, with a bit of a, a lion's mane, an unmanageable lion's mane. Um, he has, he comes from that San Francisco, California sort of locus from which Nancy Pelosi and um, Dianne Feinstein and Kamala Harris saw hail. He has the Silicon Valley money behind him. Uh, he has uh, tech sort of in his corner, big tech in his corner. So, and he has youth, right? And that's something about which we always talk is, is a certain youthfulness, I think, is, is going to be very refreshing in the eyes of a lot of voters. So uh, people could certainly overlook a lot of his shortcomings um, for for what he has. But uh, in the uh, perspective of a somewhat disinterested observer and voter, uh, he's a bit vapid, a bit vacuous, empty, uh, a suit and a smile and, and nothing else. Uh, you see what he's done <laughs> to the state of California. And like we, we've talked about this off camera, we've talked about this with some of our family members still living in California. It's been absolutely ruinous. The state is in many places unlivable. Um, now, the ideal has always been that uh, so goes California, so goes the nation, right? California is supposed to be the, the harbinger of things to come and good things to come. It's supposed to be the, the land of uh, prosperity and, and forward thinking and and profit it's where you go to succeed right but he's taken uh, a city of gold and made it into a city of rubble of dross uh, reversing the old uh, octavian uh, approach to governance in in ancient rome uh, so he may very well be the most viable candidate if Biden were to step aside, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think Biden uh, will survive this little scandal um, with the classified documents. I think it will all be null. It will be nothing at the end because you can't very well indict President Trump for something of which President Biden is now equally culpable and guilty. So unless there's a, an incident regarding his health, which of course is more than possible given his advanced age and seemingly precipitous decline in uh, mental ability. Uh, I think it's more than likely that President Biden is still the uh, standard bearer for the Democrat Party come 2024. Well, that's an interesting thought. And, you know, we've we've talked about this on previous uh, previous uh, talks on this on this channel. That, you know, I'm I'm having a, I would have a very difficult time voting for someone in in their advanced age. Mm. So, um, you know, I would say count me out on that and count me out on Donald Trump as well. I yeah, mean, I've been pretty clear on that. Yeah, as have I, as have I, and we'll never tire of repeating our uh, our disgust with the current state of uh, affairs when it comes to these to these leading individuals. Let's pivot really quickly because we're going to bring this to a close soon. There's been some news from Tesla. It seems like Elon Musk is uh, incapable of leaving the news cycle or the news cycle is incapable of leaving him. I'm not sure which is driving the other. 
uh, I think it's a reciprocal relationship from which they're both uh, greatly benefiting. So it was announced just a few days ago that Tesla will be drastically lowering the prices for some of its most popular vehicles, including the Model E, I'm sorry, <laughs> the Model 3 and the Model Y. Uh, now, you texted me uh, upon learning this, uh, your your excitement, uh, and of course, I I returned in uh, with exactly the same sentiment uh, because I'm hopefully <laughs> going to pull the trigger and purchase myself a Tesla in the near future. Um, so, tell us a little bit about this situation. What's happening there at Tesla? Well, I think uh, I, I I think he's just making well. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if he's trying to raise cash. The stock's price definitely dropped when uh, when he made, made that announcement. So I know I know Twitter is probably sapping him of, of some of the cash. I know he sold some of his stocks in order to uh, leverage a purchase of Twitter. Um, so I'm not really sure what the game is there. Uh, I know a lot of the dealers and a lot of, um, like a Carvana, a lot of people who had inventory of tesla's all the all the models um you know when you drop a like we, we we talked about the model y which is a which is a really nice a very nice vehicle and qualifies for a federal rebate we'll get into you know uh what you had said in uh, some previous episodes about the mining of these precious materials and and now, and now your 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 tune may be changing a little bit but you know opportunity it's knocking. Um, it's knocking. <laughs> I'm more than more than willing to forget my uh, <laughs> forget my morality, and forget my knowledge, and and take it and answer that answer that knock answer that call. Well, comp companies such as Car Carvana, which is a big holder of inventory, um, they have to be getting devastated. Uh, a couple of months ago, this this why. This uh, Model Y with um, I don't know less than five thousand miles on it was was selling used for sixty eight thousand dollars. I think this same this same vehicle now three short months later with the rebates brings it at, in at about forty five thousand dollars. So you're talking about a twenty fifteen to twenty thousand dollar drop on every vehicle that you that you purchase. And Carvana was basically over purchasing. Vehicles. I know I sold a couple of used cars, uh, not to Carvana, but to another uh, another um, uh, vehicle um, aggregator, and I I, I got uh, top dollar for them. And and a lot of used cars now are actually, if they're well, I would say six months ago, you you were actually selling them used for more money than you could you could purchase a new car for. That they had a massive chip shortage. Vehicles just weren't available, and if you're a Carvana or an aggregator, um, you're buying these cars for fifteen to twenty thousand dollars more than than what what a new vehicle is worth. And now the new vehicles are starting to flood the market. So you have the new vehicles coming in because the chip prices are, excuse me, the chips are now available. You have purchases that you've made um, for maybe ten thousand, fifteen thousand more than what the what the car is worth and you have the fed raising the rates so people are having difficulty people with marginal credit are having difficulty borrowing money 
and making that month and qualifying for that month, that larger monthly payment. So it's a perfect storm, unfortunately, in the used car market for a lot of these dealers. So Tesla, uh, Elon Musk lowering those prices, although you you may benefit and a lot of new car buyers may benefit from that. Other other vehicle owners who are aggregate or Carvana are gonna get devastated with this. And I'm talking about like a Hertz, like an enterprise, because the last time I was at a, a thrifty, they had a Tesla that was available. So now that so when it goes through their 20 or 30 or 40,000 miles, however many miles thrifty Hertz will allow to put on a car, that, that vehicle is going to be worth far less when they sell that and when they try to auction that off. So uh, people are going to have to hold on to those vehicles a lot longer and not, and not trade them in. So to, you're going to, you're, you may benefit from that if you decide to go with that vehicle, um, but those who are holding those vehicles and who have paid a much higher price for them have just got devastated financially. What do you, what do you think of those people who are now casting aspersions at Elon Musk for, for this quite um, natural business response? He's responding and his company is responding to the fact that um, there's more competition in this space. They have fallen short of their sales quota um, as demonstrated by their their quarterly or earnings uh, from from last year, um, so what do you do in response to that? Well, you you decrease the cost of uh, the price of your of your product, whatever it may be, whether it be ice cream or books or you know sunglasses. You decrease the cost in in order to stimulate demand, in order to stimulate consumption, and that's what he's doing. Uh, but a lot of people who purchased their Teslas, say, three, four, five months ago, who now come to realize that they could have done so in January of 2023 and saved themselves $12,000, dollars $20,000, are uh, more than a little perturbed <laughs> at the, the former hero of, uh, of the Republic, Elon Musk. So what do you say to those people? Well, we all know that buying a car is a depreciating asset. You can buy a car and drive it off the lot, and the old story, it's going to be worth five to ten, five to six, seven thousand dollars less that same day because a new car dealer cannot take that vehicle back, repackage it as new because it's already been titled to you as the owner of that vehicle. So we all know that there's depreciation. The the point of this is that there's this massive depreciation, but this massive depreciation is going to exist across exist across all cars. So people were willing to pay 10 to $15,000 above MR, MRSP to get themselves a Honda, to get themselves a Toyota because these vehicles weren't available. So people were overpaying. Now as the, the value of these vehicles start to depreciate normally, those same people who purchase that are now out that ten or fifteen thousand dollar premium that they purchased that vehicle with. So now they're immediately upside down on their loans. So it's you know it's a chance, it's a chance that you have to take. Uh, you know what do you say to a home buyer now uh, who who purchased a, a house at the top of the market and suddenly there's this massive depreciation. They put it up for sale. They thought they were going to make a quick. Fifty or sixty thousand dollars on the house, and they find out that they're actually upside down in their house. They're 
they're forty or fifty thousand dollars. The value is forty or fifty thousand dollars less. So it, it's a gamble buying a house, buying a car. I mean, it's a gamble. There's nothing that says that that the prices should go up. I'm sure, you know, come to think about it, I'm sure there was speculation within the used car market too. Like people were probably buying cars inexpensively and and turning them around and reselling them in a fashion that they were making five or ten k on. So it's it's just a topsy turvy kind of um, you know type of environment right now. You know, you look at you know I did a little bit of research. Buick is now making a tremendous amount of cars. They have a huge amount of inventory. Six months ago, all of all the vehicle manufacturers were saying we're going to build these cars now to order. We're not going to flood our lots. We're not going to spend a lot of money on inventory in our lots. The new model is building our cars to order. Well, guess what? Buick jumped out and they're manufacturing like crazy. That's a business decision they're making. Honda and Toyota are still limiting their manufacturing. And, and you know, let's hold Honda and Toyota accountable as well. If you want to hold Elon Musk accountable, Honda and Toyota have, a, have that limited amount of chips. And when they had that limited amount of chips, they were only using those chips in their high-end vehicles. Those high-end vehicles were allowing them to have a lot more profitability. So, you know, so you can't blame one man for these types of business decisions. These, these happen across the automotive industry. Yeah. He's just become so conspicuous a figure that it's, it's very easy and convenient to, uh, to, to aim all of one's opprobrium uh, at him. Uh, for for any number of reasons, that was very clarifying, and and I know you researched the the vehicle market a little bit more carefully uh, than I do, um, but yeah, like you said, I mean it's it's unpredictable and only going to become more so. We're looking at the the very real possibility of a recession in the next few months. I believe the three large banks, Citigroup, um, Wells Fargo, and maybe one other. Um, in their latest meetings, in the minutes of their meetings, announced the, their their expectation that we do enter a recession. Now, whether it's a very deep recession from which we uh, only recover over the course, the long court, the long uh, a long stretch of time, or a short one that's relatively painless is is impossible to know at this point. So I, I wonder how a Buick, given its response to the to the scarcity of of inventory um, over the course of the past few years responds and, and um, absorbs what could be a, a difficult stretch of time. I'm sure their analysts think that the recessive state into which we're uh, heading uh, won't be so deep that they can't survive it with this increased inventory. Otherwise, they're just sitting on a ton of inventory while people are not purchasing new vehicles because they need to focus on the fact that inflation is still at whatever, eight, nine, 10%, um, unemployment is up at 5%. It's not that now, but that's the that's the prediction. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a gamble um, by, by Buick as it is with all of these, all of these companies. We're talking about cars right now, but you know, the same goes to, uh, same can be said about commodities, oil companies, right? Or, or any sort of company that, is sort of closely and tightly entangled with with the government and with the fickle kind of uh, monetary situation uh, that we're facing. So, Dad, thank you so much for that insight on uh, on the vehicle market. That's something that we'll be following very closely, and on which I think we should comment more uh, because it's it's really an interesting 
dynamic, especially whenever you have Elon Musk involved. It just really you know, notches it up a little bit. So with that, do you have any concluding thoughts? No, I just uh, I just wanted to thank you for for taking a couple of time, a, a couple of moments to discuss some of the uh, current issues. Um, I think this is this is very good. I um, I'm looking forward to uh, to talking again, and um, you know, hopefully we can get some viewer feedback, and maybe we can go down some some areas. I know you're looking to do some kind of like man on the street interviews, and I'm trying to experiment with a few different things, a few different options that you might be able to do for, for low cost um, on the streets of uh, maybe Naples, Florida, and maybe various areas throughout throughout uh, Florida. Throughout America, um, I'll go anywhere. Throughout America, yeah. So like, uh, you know, again, you saw earlier that I was kind of flicking between my main camera and um, a uh, iPhone. So I'm trying to you know, just trying to figure out the viability of be, having you use an iPhone to be able to do, you know, some of the um, interviews. But but these are lengthy. These interviews are lengthy, and so I'm just concerned, uh, you know, about the the hard drive size of of the iPhone. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. And that's the that's sort of the fun of this is you know even though our viewership is small right now, we're we're experimenting with a lot of different technical approach. Well, you are mainly. I mean, I'm just using a webcam. Mine is very unsophisticated. My situation. Um, but it's fun because we're on such a small scale right now and um, uh, small budget as well. We're able to do a lot of different things and just try things out. And and that's sort of the fun uh, I've learned about YouTube. Like I sort of entered, I don't know, this space with grander ambitions, not, not to um, accumulate a million subscribers or anything quite that lofty. But um, I've learned that it's just a good way to to um, articulate some ideas or whatever they might be if they're political or just uh, about films or books what have you um that's fun in and of itself and then also the 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 trial and error the fact that we for the first time used obs today to pull up those babylon b articles and on which we commented and then to switch from two different cameras so you know we're we're just sort of amateurish but again amateur never never forget comes from amor, it comes from the Latin to love, right? So we're just people who kind of love conversation. We love experimenting with these new approaches to its enhancement. And we're just having a lot of fun along the way. And it's been a great bonding experience. And even if we only have five uh, or 10 viewers, it's really worthwhile. And I, I cherish every single moment with you, Dad. So with that, let's sign off. This has been our Thought Bubble brought to you by Finneran's Wake. Until next time, we bid you farewell. Please don't hesitate to comment below or send us an email at finneranswake at gmail.com. And we're sure to have much more content for you in the future. So goodbye.